You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 146. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. Technical outdoor gear can make all the difference in the world when you are traveling in wild places and enduring whatever weather nature tosses out. But the trade-off is too often, ironically, a negative environmental impact with an excess of non-biodegradable pieces sitting in the landfill. The outdoor apparel industry, with their history of championing environmental conservation efforts, can serve as an industry leader in creating truly sustainable products. As consumers, we can do our part by prolonging the life of our trusty technical garments and repair these rather than replace them. Colleen Treader, also known as the Green Donor, does just this for the environmentally conscious outdoor junkies of Bozeman, Montana. I stopped into her shop and spoke with Colleen about how she got her start in this unique industry and and the ethical shifts she's seeing in consumer and brand behavior. It's a zipper. My name's Colleen Treader, and I'm a seamstress. Um, my business is called the Green Darner, D-A-R-N-E-R, I should say, like as in darning. I say the word seamstress. I'm often asked if there's a different word, but I'm happy to call myself a seamstress. I fix outdoor gear and outdoor clothing and zippers. <laughs> Zippers. <laughs> Zippers are your specialty. Are my specialty, for sure, for sure. Are, is there a special, is there a certain something about zippers and outdoor gear? You know, it's interesting. Most people who sew really dread working on zippers. Really? Yes. Why I, is that? You I mean, know, I, I think it's... Zippers. <laughs> it's true. So folks dread it. It's true. So yeah. people... Most people have a love-hate relationship with them when they use them. And then most people who sew don't want to have to sew one in. And I think it's because they're a little bit challenging until you sort of get the hang of it. I think it's that there's maybe an art and a science to it Mm -hmm. that is sort of intimidating to people. I know that the first time I took out a jacket zipper and put in the replacement it was quite intimidating and i did weep there was some tears <laughs> involved but yeah so basically i just fix outdoor gear and zippers i knew i didn't want to work on formal wear i knew i didn't want to work on prom dresses and wedding dresses that's because that's what i typically think of when i think of seamstress as seamstress yeah yeah maybe i should call myself a technical gear a gear expert something like that how did it all happen probably about 15 years ago i left taos new mexico and i was living in boulder colorado and i wasn't very happy in boulder and i couldn't find a job and i had moved to boulder thinking it would be easy for me to find a job there because i've never had trouble finding a job and i began to get pretty stressed out 
I applied for janitorial jobs and didn't get them. I applied for waitressing jobs and didn't get them. And the wages were really, really low because it was it's a college town. So I was really up against some things that I haven't ever been up against before. At this point, I was living on credit cards and I was really afraid that I was pretty close to being homeless. Like it was getting kind of down to the wire. And I knew that spider was in Boulder and I had a sewing machine that was given to me that <clears throat> it, w it wasn't much of a sewing machine, but I thought at least maybe I could do something with it. So I marched into spider ski wear. They were not hiring as far as I knew. They were not expecting me. I did not contact them first, but I think I was feeling pretty desperate and I marched in there and Somehow I was in the warehouse where all the broken zippers and ski jackets with broken zippers were. And I pointed at the pile and said, see that pile of stuff? I can fix that. <laughs> Which was a total and complete lie. It was <laughs> just a terrible lie. <laughs> <laughs> So I lied and I said I could fix this whole pile of stuff and they got very excited and I they bet. started running around saying, oh, she, she can do this stuff. And I saw that I got a good response. They pulled out a couple jackets, further damaged them. Oh, they did intentionally. They intent, they had problems and they made the problems worse. Oh, good. Just for to be me. like, here you go. We're going to, we're going to give you a doozy. <laughs> And I think I went home with two or three jackets. And I remember lying down on the floor and crying. <laughs> and really feeling like soon I would be eating out of dumpsters. And I remember telling myself, you have 20 minutes to cry. And you better get this out of your system. Because you really need this. Right. And then I spent the next... Probably eight hours trying to figure out how to replace the jacket zipper. And an all there were three, two or three. Two or three. So I did the first one. It took you know a day, and did they give you a time limit? They just said you know bring it back as soon as you can, and we'll see how. You, so I, I felt like I better hurry up. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, so because the window was yeah right, like right. they would be happy if I hurried up. So I know that that first one was probably right about eight hours because I remember I charged thirty five dollars for it, and I thought, well, obviously I'm not making any money and I'm losing money, but if I can figure this out, maybe it'll right lead to something, and I don't have any other options. So because I couldn't figure out a better option, I kept going and I did the next one. And each one I would take the zipper out, put the new one in. It would look like hell. And then I would take it out and put it in again. And it would look like hell. How long? How many times usually? Maybe five. Uh, but see, but you always got it right. As right as I could at yeah. the time. You yeah. know, it definitely wasn't perfect. The human side of things was really showing Back then, <laughs> <In the beginning. laughs> it was really evident that human hands had 
had worked on those jackets. And, you know, the beauty of it was nobody was dealing with me directly. You know, I had spider fronting me. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so much my neck. Right. The way right. it is now. Now yeah. it's just my neck out <laughs> <off> there. <laughs> so, um, but did you have sewing experience going into it? I did. I did. To go back to the beginning of my sewing experience, I was very young. I'm the youngest of six kids. And I have some pretty clear memories of my mom just sort of encouraging me, not really so much teaching me, but she and I were super close and she was always just sort of a big fan of mine. And so she just gave me a ton of confidence and she would always say, you know, you're going to get it. You're going to get it, honey. Mm -hmm. And I was tiny. I mean, I was sewing when I was six and seven. Then I started fixing my brother's stuff. And so I think the seeds of this are really truly in that very early experience where I was really young and I would fix something for somebody like one of my brothers and it would make them so happy. You know, I think it's probably safe to say I'm sort of the black sheep of the family. Well, I'm not sort of, I just am the black sheep of the family. And it was really easy to for me, like, find an identity uh, through that. Right. And it gave you purpose. Yes. It gave me this sort of, yeah, it gave me this purpose. And it identified me sort of with my mom who sewed, who fixed stuff. So both of my parents are from Iowa. Prussian babies from right. the Midwest. And they were total fixers. So I guess that's sort of the seeds of it. And then, you know, potential homelessness drove. <laughs> was, a, was a motivator. Was a big motivator <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, and then I just kept going. I just kept going because I could see that there was a need and there was, you know, a place to do it. And many people over the years have said to me, do you really think you can make a living as the seamstress? Like when I moved to Bozeman, I came here to open the business. Oh, really? It's really the only thing I've ever planned out in my entire life. Was was this business? Yeah. Was coming, making the decision to come to Bozeman because I could see that there was a need here for it. Because if there's a big enough outdoor community. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I felt like, you know, skiers, climbers, hikers, mountaineers fishermen, mm-hmm. all these people would keep me going mm-hmm. um, and support the business once the word got out. And so it really is the only thing I ever planned. But when I got here, I distinctly remember people saying to me that they were skeptical about whether I could make a living as a seamstress. Right. Repairing gear yeah right not like wedding dresses yeah right and a few people said why don't you just do wedding dresses instead and i just i never even had an answer to that except that it basically causes a near allergic reaction (laughs) inside me (laughs) so it's just it's not my thing you know me it's just not my thing wedding dresses and prom dresses and panicky people were never gonna be my thing yeah 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 and i felt really at home like with a pile of bags with a pile of stuff (laughs) that i knew that that they would just be so happy if i could make it work right and so that was a big piece of it yeah and then i started realizing oh okay i'm actually 
keeping these things out of the landfill. And then that became a big motivator. So then that's like the next chapter is sort of the landfill waste, textile waste aspect of it, which is pretty significant for me these days. Yeah. I mean, that is really significant. It's it's gotten bigger and bigger and it's become really sort of the driving force. You know, it is sort of why I keep doing this day in and day out. It's what gets me working every day is this sort of, I mean, I hate to say, um, like if I picture this pile of stuff going in the landfill, that is more than enough to keep me going. Yeah. To the point that it's almost sort of problematic because sometimes if, you know, say somebody brings me a ski bag and I say, well, it's going to be 60 bucks to fix it. And those ski bags are huge and they never biodegrade. I mean, it's right. Just, right. it's a ton of plastic that never goes away. And I probably shouldn't say this on this podcast, but sometimes with a really big item like that, if somebody says, well, I'm just going to throw it out, I'll say, just leave it with me. I'll fix it for you. I just will do anything to have it not go in the landfill. Right. So one of the real factors in sort of my world and say in my customer's world that I think sometimes I count on more than some of my customers is, um, so there's the cost that I have to charge you. And then there's also the cost of putting it in the landfill. Some customers weigh that factor more mm -hmm. than others. Mm -hmm. Some folks don't um, give that any weight. Right. What is that weight? How do you weigh that? I don't know. Yeah. And I think it really helps to talk about it because, um, say, especially in, in the winter months, I have a lot of folks come to me with down jackets, mm -hmm. with zipper problems. And this is another thing, um, you know, so you buy a nice down jacket or you buy a crappy down jacket at Costco. It doesn't really matter to me where it comes from because when I look at that object, what I see is a bunch of down that came from a bunch of dead birds, which is fine. I don't uh, I'm not complaining about the down industry, but there's a bunch of birds in there that, <laughs> you know, right. it seems sort of absurd to throw it out. Yeah. And then on the outside of all of the down is a bunch of petroleum. Right. So what do we do with that right. object? And to me, I'd like to think that I'm a person that if I were a customer and you were me, that I would come to you and it, I would just say, I don't care what it costs. I got to get it fixed because it's mine. Right. I already own it. Right. Right. So I'm responsible for it. Right. And I have to continue to be responsible for it. We're all responsible for all this stuff, but not everybody sees it that way. I do. And I have to learn how to like communicate about that without foisting my views onto unsuspecting people. Right. Or, you know, maybe they hadn't thought of it before. It's true. Because quite honestly, I, you know, I don't know that it ever really occurred to me. I'm always like, oh, I'll give it to Goodwill. But I can't always imagine they're finding an another home for for myself. Well, it, that's a really interesting point. So Goodwill and homeless shelters, all these places are, you know, a great 
place to donate garments. But if you look at the Goodwill in Bozeman, it's overflowing. I know. Every time I go into those places, I'm like, this is so much stuff. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So kind of related in a way is when I did move to Bozeman, I loaded up my horse trailer and then I got to Bozeman and I realized like, wow, I just have too much stuff. Mm -hmm. I have too much stuff for one person. So then I got on this path where I decided that if I was going to buy something, I was going to buy it secondhand. Anything. I stopped going in stores like Target. If you don't go in, you won't shop there. (laughs) That simple. (laughs) So you just don't go in. And then, you know, so this is mostly applies to clothing. Like I just, I found that it was so easy to only buy secondhand clothes that I just couldn't think of a reason not to mm-hmm. i don't know between the business and and my personal habits hopefully i'm making a tiny little scratch in the surface right right i don't know and do you find that the people that that are coming like your customers have that have that ethic are you are you are you finding that more and more that the sense of this is something that's important to me or this is something that mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's on the upswing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, I guess there's always more work to be done, but I I do think that um, more and more people are beginning to realize that just scrapping something and replacing it isn't necessarily the best answer, even though in the short term it might be the economical answer. Or easy. Um, I mean, it's one of those things like, oh, this is broke. Like, you know, I mean, I've definitely had zippers just, break and been like, uh, I guess I need a new coat. But I came here and got a new zipper. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So, but, but there, sure. there is that sense of, well, I can't, and I need something by X day or sure. know, this whole, like, sense of we're immediate gratification culture. There's definitely a sense of urgency. Yeah. Sometimes people are going on a trip. Yeah. Um, and they need a bag or they need a jacket or whatever. Sometimes when they do come to me, they realize that the solution was a more simple one than they were expecting. And they're still able to take that item on their trip or whatever. But yeah, you know, I mean, everybody comes to these solutions differently. There are definitely, there's a big percentage of like families with kids stuff, say kids ski stuff that they want to pass down. Um, There is a pretty good percentage of like committed kind of athletes in Bozeman who are Nordic skiers and downhill skiers and people who are intense about getting outside climbers Mm -hmm. who, you know, either say they have a pack that just fits and they they like the way it works for them or you know their ski pants fit over their knee brace so they're not going to give up on it on them um stuff like that but yeah then the changes are more like um i get folks from the yellowstone club and many of my friends will say well why would anyone from the yellowstone club get their stuff fixed as it turns out, people from all different economic 
backgrounds and experiences and and all different ways of thinking do want to get stuff fixed because maybe they have a jacket that's a one of a kind or it's very unusual or they can't replace it. Sometimes I think if if something works, yeah, it's it's like I don't want something else. It's really true. If yeah. something works, the other thing that I notice a lot is um I have customers who are just very sentimental about certain objects. Mm -hmm. Um, Mountaineers who like have had certain experiences with this or that pack or jacket or whatever, and they just want it to keep going. Even though say maybe they're a sponsored athlete where they could just get a replacement. There's an emotional attachment too. So that's a factor, but yeah, the, the type of customer that I see is changing. Younger people, um, more MSU students mm-hmm. seem to be showing up. So that's great. They're not just buying, you right. know, maybe a new ski jacket or whatever. Right. They're right. seeing the value in getting stuff fixed. And so are you finding that some of the, some of the companies are having that mentality of, you know, we want our gear to last and work and... You know, the whole, I'm thinking of like Patagonia and their whole yeah. don't throw it away yeah. ethic. You really hope so. Um, <laughs> right. I do think it is happening. Some people would argue that even though companies say that really they have this planned obsolescence thing that they're sort of building in so that we have to keep buying new jackets. I do warranty work for a couple companies, mm-hmm. ones in Portland true and then Hallie Hansen uses me for some warranty work do you find that like true is a company that I'm amazed at what they're willing to to fix for their customers they sort of go above and beyond what I think is their responsibility yeah to answer your question I guess the tides are sort of turning towards repair yeah. More and more. Like if you look on Instagram and Facebook, there's, I mean, at last count and this, this number's probably, maybe it's up from what I think it is. But in my um, sort of sphere of friends who do what I do, there's about 20 of us in the country who are dedicated full-time or gear repair shops who have this type of equipment and and are ready to really fix most zipper problems, most um, waterproof breathable fabric, stuff like that. Um, I think the numbers are low because it is such hard work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had customers come and say, you know, why aren't there more people doing this if you're so busy? Right. And the answer is that it's really honestly hard enough that most people probably don't stick it out. Mm. I hate to say that, but I I do think people want to dip their toe into repair and then they realize, oh, I have to take that whole thing apart and put it back together. And then if it's not perfect, I'm going to have to take it apart and put it back together again. And I think a lot of people these days just don't have the um, tenacity Mm-hmm. Or maybe in my case, it's just stubbornness. Yeah, which I think is sort of a synonym to tenacity. 
Or at least I always say that. I'm like, I'm tenacious. No, I'm stubborn. No, it's kind of the it's same. It's true. It's kind of the same. It's true. And, you know, I think people kind of start getting into it and then they realize, oh, my hands are tired. Yeah, and yeah. My eyes are tired and my back is tired. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, that's why there's not um, one of us on every corner sure. in every town. Which it should be. You would, yeah, I would love it. Um, it would probably mean, well, my life would be different if, <laughs> if that were the case. I might not be so busy. Well, but probably even more busy because that would mean that there's a demand. More education. Yeah. It's true. It's true. More people would understand that it was even a possibility. Yeah. It's a really good point. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I need to keep working on that. I need to keep working on helping people understand that, like, they can fix stuff or I can fix it for them. There was a, um, I don't know if you know about the fix-it clinic. Yeah. That happened here um, a couple times. I did one. And then I did, like, a repair day at REI. Mm. What's the craziest thing you've repaired or seen and been like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll try it. And then it turned out good. <laughs> right? Let's not talk about the bad ones. No, there's never really anything no. that, that that's that bad. Because if it's something that doesn't go well, you guys are never going to know about it. I'm going to stay here and take it apart until oh, it's... Sure. Right. So I guess it all is pretty good. Um, The most intimidating thing or the most sort of gripping thing was when Conrad Anchor came to me and had me put a door in his portal edge Mm -hmm. for the Meru expedition. And to be honest, I can't even remember how I did it. It's kind of a blur. Really? I think I was honestly so nervous. (laughs) He would laugh if he heard me say that. But, you know, you can imagine they're using it at 20,000 feet plus. Mm -hmm. And obviously their lives depend on it. Right. And I'm just little old me thinking, I hope I get this door in the right place. I hope I make it the way they want it. And I hope, you know, when they use it, it works well. Um, It does, apparently. Um. I think they were happy with it. That was <laughs> last picture here. When I, it's true. Last last that I heard, um, they were they were happy with it when it happened. That was years ago, though. That was probably, gosh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. Huh. But um, so that was a big one. And then there's like the occasional, you know, big pack modification where I think this is exhausting and I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel. Right. Um, and really what I like to do is just fix existing problems rather than like remake stuff. Oh, so it's somebody saying design. Yeah. Something. Like, can you change this? Um, someone brought me a backpack that he really liked and he wanted a massive modification to it. Which ended up being a $650 modification. Wow. And he really wanted it. And I told him it was going to be that much money. And he said, it's totally fine. And I think he was very happy with it. But that was really stretching the limits of sort of my comfort zone and like what I enjoy. Mm -hmm. I love taking something that isn't working and just making it work. Right. Right. 
Um, another guy brought me a tent that was a huge center pole Kefaru tent. They're mm-hmm. this company from Colorado. And he wanted me to make it so that it would raise up and down and have a sidewall. So it was like, went from a center pole teepee tent to more like a yurt. Oh, right. Okay. So you could pop it up and then if the wind came in, you could pop it down. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty stressful. I do think I might have torn my hair out a little bit over that. But again, it it did. It worked out great. He was super happy with it. And um, I know he uses it hunting. Those were some of the biggies. Yeah. But other than that, it's just a lot of jacket zippers. Really? What's, What's the deal with zippers? Because yeah. I hate my zipper, right? What I mean, is the it's, deal? It's a problem that I've always, I've always been like, can't anybody make a good zipper? But I know it's because I abuse my zipper, and I, mostly I say this, I say this to you because I, I've actually read your. Here's how you should take care of your zipper, and I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I've never done that. That's I don't do that any of those things. <laughs> how come they don't tell you that? No one's ever told me yes. to take care of my zipper. Exactly. It's so true. I keep thinking like, that I really wish some companies would put little hang tags. Just like something cute that's like, please take care of me. Do this this way. Right. Do this. Don't do this. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's something that I really want to work on. That's an idea that I would like to work with companies on Um. just because it would keep people maybe from going down a difficult road and then say they're on a ski trip in switzerland and their zipper goes berserk yes (laughs) totally so when you get stuck in your jacket (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) definitely take it off over your head or over your feet yeah rather than i mean i've had many people come to me who said you know i panicked i got the knife yeah (laughs) They'll say, I got the knife and I cut my child out. And I'm like, wow, it would have been so great if you just took it off over his head right. or over your own head or whatever. Um, Definitely some good tips are um, when you wash stuff, close all your zippers. Like zip it all the way? Yep. That alone will save you so much trouble. Um, And the other thing with zippers is they hate dirt. Oh, that's why my zippers have always hated me. That says it all. They hate dirt. They really don't like dirt, especially the waterproof zippers. Oh, those are the ones that I have the most trouble with. Yeah. So when you see the coated zippers, know that they perform poorly when they're um, around dirt. Tent zippers don't do really well with their dirt, even though they're not usually waterproof ones. Um, those are the ones that usually you see get sand in them. Right. So something to keep in mind is the fact that all those little particles, mm-hmm. like granola <laughs> and trail mix and all those Your little parts. Little and he, yep. <laughs> and like geologists come to me and they carry packs full of rocks right um sandy stuff like that all that stuff is really hard on zippers Mm -hmm. so um cleaning them out with a toothbrush 
How often? Like whenever you're in a dirt? Depending on how much you use it. But you use your yeah, stuff pretty. Use your stuff. You know, you're outside. You're around dogs. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, Which basically means I'm dirt. Dirty. Um, a couple times a year, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Like with a tent, if you go camping a lot, maybe twice a year, really good thing to do is to, in this case, not zip your zippers, keep your zippers open and put it in the bathtub. Oh, soak it? And give it kind of a bath so that the dirt comes out of the zippers. Okay. So when you close up a zipper, like when you wash something in the washing machine, it's good to close them. Mm-hmm. So they're not winging around in there and in the dryer. But if you wash something by hand, it's good to keep them open so that the zipper gets a good cleaning. Okay. And then all my customers know my favorite product is called Zip Care. And I don't know what's in it. It feels like silicone. It's not silicone. Don't put silicone on your zippers. <laughs> um, but it just, it's a total lifesaver. It's a total lifesaver. It will unstick a stuck zipper. It will deal with the dirt thing. Like if you're not going to wash it, it's really good to use zip care until you wash the item. Yeah. Um, and it's like five bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get that stuff online. Um, so there's my plug through zip care. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's yeah. the deal when, and this is my one question personally, but, but I will... My zipper will separate. Like I'll yeah. zip it and I'll have one way, you know, one side way down here. Great question. <laughs> what is that? So you're like, you're zipping it up and it opens and, up and at the goes, bottom. Yeah. Opens up at the bottom. Okay. Really great this question. This happens to me all the time. So the deal with that, and this is a great thing because it's something that I see very often and folks think it's a much bigger deal than it is. So the deal with that is the slider. The movable part. People like to call it a truck or a pole or they have different words for it or whatever. But I call it a slider. So the slider on the inside where you can't see it. But again, because of often because of dirt and use and it's just kind of what happens in the life of a zipper. The inside of the slider gets worn out. It's not working to made up the parts of the zipper. So we just take that off, replace it. Patagonia does the millions of these a year, I'm sure. I can't, I can't even guess at the number. But any ski wear company or any company that makes jackets should know, most of them I'm sure know that, um, although I did encounter one company once that did not know this, that if the zipper looks good and the parts at the bottom fit together well, you just have to replace that part. It's a real cheap little part. Huh. They're a pain in the butt to get for lay people because there's hundreds. <laughs> for lay people. <laughs> there's. <laughs> I love that. What is the right term? I, but I, well, I like being called a lay person. Super lay person. <laughs> Oh man. Um, yeah, they're a pain in the butt to get because there's hundreds of different ones. Oh, so you and have to size it. And you have to know exactly. what one you're dealing with. So then you've got YKK, which yeah, is yeah. the big one. Yeah. But then you have Ideal and Riri and all these other companies. Oh, I see. So it's not quite as easy as just 
taking it off and going down to Joanne's Fabrics and right. getting another one and putting it on. Now, the other thing about splitting zippers that I'll add is that many people love to take a pair of pliers and squeeze down their um, zipper slider because it will make your zipper close. Now, the deal with that is it's a really good temporary fix. Say you're on a hut trip yeah, and you can't get your duck to close or you're on a camping trip and your tent zipper is splitting open and you're getting chowed by mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. If you take pliers and you squeeze on the front and the back of the slider very gently, it will make your zipper close. Mm. But the bummer about that, many of my customers will come and say, well, you know, I kept squeezing it. Like every year I squeeze it a couple times. Well, eventually, and not eventually, actually, usually just the first time we squeeze one, um, it bends it. So when we bend metal, we open up a different can of worms, right? Right. So then the dimensions of the thing are not exactly the same. Right. Because we can't make them be exactly the same. And then it starts to damage the whole zipper up and down your jacket. Mm -hmm. So now we're wearing on that. And then you go from a super cheap two-minute repair to a full zipper Zipper. replacement, which is a much bigger deal. So I always tell folks, you know, if you have to do the pliers trick, be gentle, be gentle, (laughs) go really easy, and then come see me or go somewhere and get that slider replaced because it's inevitably bent. Right, right, right. So like get over the whole zipper. Yes. Go. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. So there's your tip about splitting that's zippers. A, that's a good tip. I appreciate that. Yeah. Do you have any uh, words of wisdom that you want the world to? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have any words of wisdom? I think I'll just say that I really encourage folks to, to repair stuff, to find somebody who can repair your stuff or repair it yourself. Teach your kids to think about repairing stuff. Right. Teach them that stuff can be repaired, even if people are saying to them that it can't be. Mm. Um, Teach them to sew. Teach them to hand sew. Teach them to sew buttons on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just keep fixing stuff past. You might typically think, like, you know, next time you're going to give up on something, maybe rethink it and, and don't give up on it quite yet. Ask yourself, you know, first, if you really want to put it in the landfill. To learn more about the Green Darner and the Repair Don't Replace movement, you can find links on the show notes page at wildlandsinc.org slash EOC 146. This episode was produced and hosted by myself, Katherine Dunning. Our theme music is by The Humidors.